0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami heralds Miami Marlins Podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Fernandez. Dre, opening day. It's finally almost here.
1: Opening day, and uh let's 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 get people excited about it because I think uh, understandably right now I think everybody's in March madness mode and talking about college basketball. How couldn't you with uh not just my not just the canes, but, but Florida Landing too. <laughs> FAU is in it too. I mean, this, this is a game that you see in November. There used to be just a non-conference regular everyday game you know the middle of, like maybe the second third game of the season where're one win on each side away from that being the national championship game. I mean that you you and I will not see many crazier things you know if ever if any than what we're gonna see potentially this weekend in basketball but that's in basketball baseball Thursday Marlin's Mets here we go down to business. Now it's for real.
0: Yeah. Again, we got, like I said, Marlins Mets, Sandy versus Scherzer for game one. First game for new manager, Skip Schumacher. We got all the storylines to talk about. Will the Marlins actually be able to compete in the East? Will their new additions make the impact they were hoping they would make? We got a lot that we'll be able to dive into on this episode and to use this to springboard us throughout the season.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I'm excited to see what the new additions can do because, you know, we got a little taste of it now in the, in the world baseball classic. You know, I mean, I, I want to see what Luis Arias can do. You know, I want to see what some of these additions to the bullpen, the bullpen seems like it's a non, we, we, we haven't stopped talking about how much better it needs to be. I think for like three years now, I believe maybe this is the year with some of these guys, like an AJ puck, you know, Austin Barnes, guys like that, that have come in and, and made this, hopefully make this better and hopefully shore this thing up so they don't blow leads when they do have them. But, you know, let's dive in. Let's let's jump right in right now. And and you know what I know Skip Schumacher is the big one because, you know, for you know, all this time we had Don Mattingly here. And now it's gonna be weird not seeing not seeing Donnie in the dugout anymore. Uh but it skips time. And you know, you've you've seen him throughout the spring, Jordan. And I mean he brings a lot of that influence from the Cardinals organization, you know, the, the certain way of doing things that's been successful. But in this day and age with the, you know, I guess you could call it the reduced influence of the manager in a certain sense, not so much in the clubhouse sense, how much of an impact can he make? And I don't know, what, what do you, what do you think you were, you've talked to him a lot more, you know, than I have, which is zero so far directly in person. So what what's your thoughts on Skip so far?
0: Yeah, after watching spring training in general between him personally and his coaching staff, specifically the the hitting staff, watching just how up close and personal they were with everybody on everything with the backfield, seeing after every drill, after every – really a lot of times after every rep with batting practice, you see either Skip or hitting coach Brant Brown or assistant hitting coach John Mabry – going up to the guys and literally reviewing what they just did right as it happened, right as it happened live and then going, okay, your next time around, you've got to do this. You've got to, you got to tweak this. Oh, look at this. I didn't see that with the previous coaching staffs over my first four years on the beat. Granted two of those years, I didn't really get as much access with COVID restrictions and whatnot, but you just see a lot more in the moment adjustments in the moment. just, chats with the players that you can see the players are resonating with, especially with the staff trying to implement so much new information, a new brand new philosophy for, especially on the hitting side. There's a lot of information that they're trying to give to the players in such a short amount of time. And with them being as up close and personal and for a guy like Schumacher, who isn't that far removed from his playing days. I mean, he's only, he, he last played 2015, 2016. So he was around, he was a player during, this high analytic at the early ages of Statcast, So he understands it from both the player and the coaching side, how to balance the use of analytics versus the feel and the trust of just the eye test. He's yeah. been making a lot of those adjustments on site and also just building that good rapport inside the clubhouse. And that's going to be one of the main areas is him being able to manage and a group that's, basically entirely brand new and devoid of the players who were the leaders in that clubhouse last year. I mean, Miguel Rojas is gone. Pablo Lopez, who was one of the veterans, is gone. Uh, You've lost a lot of the big voices in that clubhouse, and it's a matter of how is he going to be able to keep everybody in line regardless of wins, losses, or whatever. How is he going to be able to keep everybody in that locker room in, in that clubhouse together. That's going to be one of the main things I'll be watching in addition to how he manages everything in-game.
1: Yeah, it's basically, he's like a modern, it's a modern perspective, a modern baseball manager. I guess, yeah. you, like you said, you know, kind of living the world that baseball has become now. But it's a team in transition because a lot of different pieces, you know, in some cases, potentially better, as we know, some of the guys with experience that we've seen do good things elsewhere. But... You know, a lot of moving around, too. You have guys that aren't exactly playing in spots that they're used to or never have in some cases, as we know. So that whole transition plus the, the you know, the, the new rules that are being implemented, too. How are right. that, How's that? I mean, everyone's going to go through the everyone's going present tense through that and already in spring training and adjusting to that. So it'll be interesting. Some guys maybe a little less than others since they played in the WBC where it was old school, old school meaning 2022, you know, playing the way they're used to. So how's that going to affect things now when when it's for real and it's not an exhibition setting and you're not quote unquote working on things, you're playing, you know, you're playing for real. You're going more of a marathon than in the urgency factor you had in the WBC where every game mattered. But at the same time, it's going to be more of that going forward. So a lot of different factors on this team, I think that are going to be interesting to watch in the first few weeks. I mean, Yuli Gurriel is the one I know that uh, the new acquisitions, the one that made the opening day roster, and you know that he. I'm interested to see just you know his bat, how he handles things when he does play at fir- uh, first base, and then throughout the infield. I mean, you've seen some of the th- this new look infield so far, you know, with Wendell. I mean. John Birdie's always been that guy that you can plug in and out of the lineup depending on matchup. So you know what you get with him. I mean, I think he's going to benefit. We've talked about that. He's going to benefit from these bigger bases, from these, you know, these new rules that, in, that that should increase base stealing for him, you know, which he's been good at as it is. And then, of course, you know, the big question: this adventure in center field—is it going to be an adventure, or is it going to be something that we're all going to be like, "Wow, Jazz has really taken to it." How's he looked in the spring?
0: Yeah, so I'll start with Jazz first since that is the biggest story or at least the one that ever, a lot of pe- most people are going to be paying attention to. I would still say expect some growing pains and adjustments early, especially since he's, again, this is a brand new position for him. He only played, I think it was about 85 innings in, during spring training in live game settings in center field so far during spring training. He's again taking the reps every day. He has a guy named John Jay who he's able to rely on and work with and talk with every day. Really great guy to have on that side of it. He's really close with Juan Pierre, who another guy who great to have as a mentor in terms of learning defense, learning the role. And he really got a lot of the different scenarios of what plays might he might have to deal with between having to track having to track the ball and the wind taking it in a different direction having to deal with a 10-hop ball that was a grounder up the middle and having to quickly get the ball and throw it home, having to having to read a route off of a ball that was a broken bat. Those are the only, only things that you can really replicate when you're in a live setting. You're not going to see broken bat fly balls when you're just taking batting practice. And when you do, you're really not looking for them because most guys are just trying to hit home runs in batting practice nowadays. But you saw some growth which, again, there was nowhere to go but up from when he started spring. But there are still going to be some adjustments, I would say, with Jazz and center. As for the infield itself, I'm interested to see how this works because you look at first base, you'll have Garrett Cooper as the main guy to start the year with Yuli Gurriel backing him up. And I think for me that's a matter of having Yuli be the backup early is a matter of just making sure he's ready. Because, again, he only had two weeks of camp once he signed. So they want to make sure he's ready. They'll have him get spot starts at first. He'll could occasionally make a start designated hitter, be a pinch hitter off the bench, which as a guy with his bat, if he's able to bounce back after a struggle in 2022, that could be a pretty dangerous weapon off the bench. If he can return even to a semblance of his form from the years before that, uh, Gene Segura or Luis arise at second base. He came in as a second baseman was mostly first last year, but he's a guy who, came up through the minors at second base. So there shouldn't be issue there. Shortstop is going to be interesting because Joey Wendell and John Birdie, again, they're both capable infielders, but they both have been primarily utility guys throughout their career. I believe combined between the two of them, they only have about a hundred combined starts at shortstop between the two of them. Joey Wendell was great there last year, but again, it was about 30 some odd starts. So to see how he handles that position over the course of a full season will be interesting to see. Can can handle the grind? Can he handle the grind
1: of 160? Well, not 162, because nobody plays 162, but you know what I mean, like over 100 games. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. And then Gene Segura, third, he's only played 25 games there in his career, and he only got about seven or eight games there during spring training because he was at World Baseball Classic for for a week and got two at-bats there. So seeing how that whole group Gels together and see how much of the improved offense gets negated, or if it does by what happens with the defense, because we don't really know what to expect of all these guys in new spots. So how much of the offensive gain will be negated by the defense or will it not? That's gonna be a storyline to follow, especially through that first month.
1: The the Marlins historically, more often than not, have been a good defensive team. And that goes yep. back to you know, the days with Bone you know, coaching back there and all of that. So that's the question is, can they still be that type of a team or is this going to be a team because some guys are playing a little bit in different spots than they're used to? Could it, could it lead to some some mistakes? And then that's the thing. A team like this that needs to contend with all these heavy hitters in the National League, especially in the East, you have to be fundamentally sound. You have to have a base, which they have in terms of their starting pitching, as we know, primarily they're starting pitching, but they're pitching in general. Pitching and defense. If you have those two, at least you have the base to potentially compete. Especially
0: when your pitchers are, especially with the way the Marlins are, they're guys who pitch the contact. So they need that defense to be stepping up and being steady in order for them to keep getting the results that they've gotten over the last few years.
1: And with less shifting, Mm -hmm. there's going to be more. There's going to be more potential hits now. Obviously, when that you know, I know it's not going to go away entirely, one hundred percent, but it's going to go away a, a big. You know, big sense where you're not going to be able to overload these shifts like you used to, so that's going to change a lot. And then you're speeding pitchers up with the clock, and you have more base stealing. So all of that defense is going to be, you know, so much more vital than even more than it's been. So that that's a that's a huge that's a huge part to, to all of this. And I think that that infield is going to be you know, the infield and the outfield because, especially in that in center field, like we were talking about with Jazz. But you know, speaking of those pitchers. You know, I mean, we we know we know the we'll get to the rotation. The rotation, you know, we've talked plenty about how strong they're going to be, but the bullpen's the question. And like you mentioned, Braxton Garrett could be the swing man, kind of a guy that could spot start. He's going to be the long reliever, but there's a lot of new names there. I think I called him Austin by mistake. Matt Barnes, AJ yeah. Puck, um, you know, Floros back, you know. Jaguar is there. Steven Oker starting the season on the IL, but eventually could be a part of what they do back there. Huascar Brazoban is going to have a you know could have a key role in there too. So I don't know. I mean, again, it's kind of you know who who kind of really emerges as a dependable you know high leverage crew there. You know, not just a closer, but yeah. those seventh eighth inning guys to protect leads should this team become competitive on a consistent basis.
0: Yeah. So the thing is, I'm gonna start with the closure. It just uh Schumacher has basically said that they're gonna go most likely closer by committee. But for me, it's looking like AJ Puck's gonna be the first guy to get that chance to to pitch a ninth. He's
1: looked he's been good, hasn't he? He's been
0: he's been very solid throughout the spring. He's the guy whenever we talk about the bullpen, it seems like that's the guy that Schumacher always circles back to. Yeah. And Again, when you're a 6'7 lefty who throws 95, 96-plus, has a solid breaking ball, and has added a splitter to his arsenal as well. Because remember, Puck, before he got traded to the Marlins from Oakland, Oakland was originally going to use him as a starter. So he was trying to add pitches back to his arsenal. So he had his two fastballs. He had the changeup. He had a slider. And he was trying to add a splitter into there as well. So he's, right. his thought process was, I was already working on it. It was looking good. Why am I going to scrap it just because I'm going to be in the bullpen?
1: Right. So, so, now you're, so now you might have a dangerous closer with a four pitch mix. That's exactly. effective. That's yeah. even deadlier. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. And it's then the thing back. is,
0: and then behind him, you're going to have three guys in Matt Barnes, Tanner Scott, and Dylan Floro, who between 2021 and 2022, all three of them have recorded at least 20 saves a piece. So you have three guys behind him who have closing experience, who have done, who have done that job before. So – so you actually have some depth in your high leverage spots compared to last year where it was basically like, okay, they're in a, the Marlins are in a close game going to have to go with, going to have to go with Steven Oker in the seventh, going to have to go with Dylan Floro in the eighth, going to have to go with Terrence Scott in the ninth every single time and roll them over and over and over this time. They actually have some options in there. You have those four guys, uh, JT Chagua had was a seventh, eighth inning guy for the Rays, Steven Oker, when he comes back, he was, very saying the seventh spot lefty who can get both lefties and righties out. And then you have Hwaskar Brazaban and Andrew Nardi, who are likely going to be more of the mid inning, lower leverage relief spots, but both of them can pitch multiple innings. So between them and Braxton Garrick, it gives you your long ish guys to make sure that you don't have to go to your higher leverage guys until those situations. And Again, like you said, they're going to be key. Remember, last year, Marlins played 64 one-run games. They won 24 and 40 in those games that were decided by one run. The Marlins are going to need, when they get to those spots where it comes to the back end of the rotation, you're going to need to figure out which of those guys can do it. And again, Puck seems like the guy to start it, but they have options that they can rotate in if they need to move guys in and out of roles, depending on who's producing and who's not.
1: If they truly – if you truly believe this team has a chance this year to win, to be around 500 or better, it's a must that they reverse that trend from last year that they're they're, – you know, you'll be in a lot – I think they will be again in a lot of those games, but you can't have – you can't be playing 350 ball in those types of games or whatever it was, you know, last season. It's got to be significantly better to have a chance – to, to win 80, 85, whatever, you know, whatever, if, if that, you know, if that becomes a realistic thing, it's only going to happen if they win those close games. And that, you know, every baseball team is going to play close games. Like a lot of them, it's just parody the way it is in the league, but they took it to another level last year. They were in one run games like left and right last year, you know, and some of them weren't, you know, some of them could have been a, it, it were a little deceiving because it was games where maybe they narrowed the gap and then ended up just losing by one, but it wasn't really a close game. But they were in a lot of those where if the bullpen had either stopped the bleeding, kept it close or protected the lead. And a lot of times that failed to happen. So, so it'll be interesting to see if these guys can come through, but you know, the rotation though, strong as ever. I mean, you know, we don't have to say anything about Sandy. I know he didn't have the, the he enjoyed, he enjoyed what was a great WBC. They didn't have the best start in the WBC, but I think, you know, he showed what he could do as usual. And I think, you know, it'll, he, each guy has an interesting storyline because his is coming off obviously the pinnacle of winning the Cy Young. How does he top? How does he follow that up? Win another Cy Young, right? That's easier said than done. But how does he handle the 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 spotlight? Sandy is now a name in baseball, which is you know pretty cool to to think about where he yeah. was five years ago. But now he is a household name in baseball. But how does he handle that? You know how does he how does he handle the stardom now? You know that we're gonna see. Over the course of the season, Jesus Sardo was better last year. And can he carry some of that over? Edward Cabrera, who's had a, you know, dealt with injuries and stuff like that, can he build off a little bit of last year? Is Johnny, does Johnny Coito still have something in the tank or is he, or is he done? I mean, we'll find out. We'll find out if he is, can, can be that kind of a contributor for however long he's in that rotation. And of course, you, you know, I want to know what you think about what you've seen out of Trevor Rogers because it was not pretty a lot of times last year. And a little up and down this spring, too, wasn't it? Well, the thing is, it was really
0: just one bad outing for Trevor this spring. He had one outing where he gave up, I think it was five maybe or six I, runs. Maybe because yeah. I yeah. saw that one bad yeah. outing. I thought maybe, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, but all of his other outings were uh, he gave up no runs his first two. His third outing, it all came on one bad pitch. That was a two-run home run. The fourth outing was completely rough. He basically said, my mechanics were off. Just got, got to fix it. And he bounced back, bounced back the final one for me, Trevor Rogers is, if I did identify one of the five, Trevor Rogers is my X factor in this rotation for just how the group overall is going to perform. But really if you go two through four, Lazardo, Cabrera and Rogers, if all three of them are able to take that next step, that group of three guys who are 25, 26 years old and be able to show that, they can all be, be, if they can all take that next step. Lazardo, again, was fantastic outside missing two months with the forearm injury. Cabrera was great outside missing the two injuries, which, again, it's if can they stay on? Can they stay on the mound? Availability being the best ability or however that phrase is, phrase is actually used. If Trevor, if those two can, can produce the way they produced without getting injured, and if Trevor Rodgers can look more like the, the, rookie of the year runner up than the guy who was just in a complete mental funk last year, the Marlins very well could have the top one through four in terms of starting pitchers in major league baseball by, by looking at.
1: In terms of depth. Yeah.
0: yeah. In terms of depth, they're one through four. I could arguably put them up with almost any other team's rotations as they stand right now and say, yeah, you have, you have a chance to win these games
1: if those two are good, it totally raises the floor of what this whole rotation can accomplish. And even if, let's say, you know, if Cueto, I said, you know, let's see what he's still got. Let's say it doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. The fifth spot I'm not so worried about because exactly. you, you've got people on the farm that you're, you're kind of are kind of waiting in the wings that will eventually can come up and do something yeah and that's they can always work. they can always
0: flip Braxton up there also yeah. with if they feel like things aren't working yeah. out, they you, got you, you, right. there too
1: you can see if that's working too i mean the, fit, the the fifth spot in the rotation at that point i mean you can there's many ways of, of fixing that in the end but if you but the solid core in the middle behind sandy is is the key because that's the thing you can't just all be him obviously and and you've got you're replacing a guy who was a steady you know, above average guy, borderline. I mean, all star type, and now starting on opening day for the Minnesota Twins. So, you know, you got to you got to replace that. You know, that void in the in the rotation. So, one of those if, if one of those guys can step in there and do that, that's going to be huge.
0: Yep, no doubt about it. And yeah, Pablo is going to be missed. He's actually going to get to pitch against yeah, them. You'll see him.
1: Like, You'll yeah. see him like in two weeks. You'll be fine. Yep. He's going to he's going to start against them now. Yep. When the, when yep. the Twins yep. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. He's going to start either. Depending on how the twins shake it out, because twins only have three games in their first set. So there'll be games four, five, and six for them when they come to Miami. Depending on how they use the off day and whatnot, he'll either start either the Tuesday or the Wednesday of that twin series. And, and, and good for still, him.
1: Yeah. Good for him, too. I mean, how about that? You know, starting on opening yeah. day, that, that's great. That's, yeah, that's, no. And, and again, Pablo
0: Lopez, and we've talked about this since the trade happened, the Pablo Lopez for Luis Arias trade was basically the trade for the trade of. One of the nicest guys in baseball for one of the nicest guys in baseball, L- Lizar or Ariz, Luis Ariz and Pablo Lopez. Again, they are one A and one B in terms of the niceness factor, and they both they got to be teammates for a week for about a week and a half with Team Venezuela and the WBC as well, and they have formed their own little friendship as well. You were able to see it on the yeah. Instagram posts and everything, so it'll be cool. It'll be cool to watch you get to see the Lopez versus Ariz matchup that we weren't sure if we were gonna get because. The only way Pablo would have pitched was if he was the opening day starter or the four or five, and he wasn't going to be the four or five in that Twins rotation.
1: Grant, so it was it was a, be, yeah, yeah, it was a cup of coffee because we only covered Venezuela for like less than a week. But I did notice that about Arias every time he, you know, and, and especially in that setting, which is like, you know, the crazy setting where there's like a ton of reporters there. I mean, you know, not like what he's going to see day to day in, in, in the Marlins clubhouse, but he saw it there for a team in Venezuela. And the way he handled himself. I could see some of the things you're talking about him. So, you know, I, I want to see not just the nice guy, I want to see the bat too, because steady contact hitter. And you saw that by him winning the batting title, but sneaky power too, because yeah. he belted like that one game where he hit two. Yeah. Those were cheap. Yeah. He did. Those were not cheap. And correct to, to right field where it's conducive to, to those power hitters in that ballpark. So if he can do that every so often, that's going to be a huge plus for that lineup.
0: Yeah, no, it'll be great, especially since when we look at what this lineup look is going to look like, Arise is going to be that table setter again. AL batting champion last year, and again, like you said, he has sneaky power. I hope he didn't use up all of his home runs in that one game. But again, he's a guy who's going to hit to all fields. He's a guy who, and I never thought I'd say this, made it look easy to hit off Sandy Alcantara. He ended up the Backfield games. The first time he did, he got two hits there. He got a double. I believe it was a double off him in the WBC game. Yeah, he got. I was gonna yeah. say, he got him there too. Yeah, yeah. So Arise is gonna be the Marlins' leadoff hitter. When we look through the rest of the lineup, set the two and three spots are either gonna be Jorge Soler, or Jazz Chisholm Jr. Just based on what we've seen in terms of how they order things in spring training and what Skip has told us, he likes power in the two hole and he likes a run producer in the three spot. So it's conducive of Solaire and Jazz in two and three. I personally would put Solaire two and Jazz three just to split up the lefties, just so you don't have two lefties back-to-back. But we have seen some spots where he's put a rise one and Jazz two. We'll see how that works out. Uh, four I and am, five.
1: Uh, yeah. I, I was uh I I was I was smirking and shaking my head because it ain't the first time we've seen power in the two-hole here in uh a, in a Marlins lineup. This takes me back five years. Remember when they put Stanton two? Yep. Yeah. And remember how he went on that tear. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, Arise
0: one, Soler and Jazz two and three, looking like uh, Cooper and the El Garcia in the four and five. Take your order. They've been primarily putting Cooper four and Avi five. The six, seven, eight will really depend on whether Sanchez, the lefty, or De La Cruz, the righty, is playing among the two. But it's going to be in those three spots Gene Segura, Joey Wendell, and one of Sanchez or De La Cruz. Again, that gives you Wendell, lefty, Segura, righty, and then Sanchez and DLC being lefty, righty. Pick how you want to order them. And then Jacob Stallings in the nine hole. When Nick Fortes is catching, you could potentially move him up and possibly put him in the six or seven spot because he has enough in terms of contact and power to warrant being up there. But that's sort of how the lineup is looking, at least to start the year. That seems how things will form out. Yuli Gurriel, when he's been in games, he's basically been – around the five or six spots. So take that for what it's worth for when he's in the lineup for spot starts as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, we'll see how they mix it up, but that's pretty much, I mean, you've seen it. I think you've seen a a good 80, 90% likely blueprint for it, you know, from what you've seen in the spring. And uh, now that takes us to the, the everybody's favorite time, make picks. I mean, you have a few of them here. I know we were gonna rattle some of these off. Pakota has them winning 79.7, which means 80. Fangraft has them also at 80. The over-under betting line, though, 75 and a half. So to be generous, let's round up 76. Mm-hmm. All a lot, all that would be, you know, at least a little bit better than last season for sure. But still not a playoff team. But if it's more toward the 80-ish window. I mean let's see how the 80 looks too but it would be progress it would be progress if it can happen but I mean I don't know I think the last one you listed here which says that all of these still have them fourth in the NL East I think is the biggest factor and I agree with that I don't think I do think last year I had them fourth it ended up being the case because you know I just thought they were better than the Nationals who were in shambles at the time and still probably the case going into this season but I do last year I kind of did, I disagreed with people that thought they'd be in the top three because I thought they were still way behind. The gaps narrowed, so maybe, maybe I'm still gonna I'm still gonna pick them fourth, just like everybody else. But I, I I'll give them a little more of a chance to maybe surprise some people. And if things break right, maybe topple one of those top three to jump in right into the middle of the pack in the division. Maybe, but it, it, it's be, it's a better outlook. It's a little bit better outlook than last year in that sense. But you, you, you know, you, you saw him firsthand last spring. What do you think?
0: Yeah. So what I'll say is this, if they do end up getting to 80 wins, that's an 11 win improvement from last year. Right. I don't, that would be, if not the largest year over year jump, it would have to be in the top two or three. If it mm-hmm. does end up happening. The problem for the Marlins is again, it's just the nature of where they're playing. Again, when you're in the same division as the Phillies, who ended up being the last team to get into the playoffs and made the World Series, and the Mets and the Braves, who both had 101 wins, and the Mets spending the way they spent, the Braves more or less staying status quo, the Phillies adding Trey Turner and Taiwan Walker to beef up their lineup and their rotation. If the Marlins were in, say, the NL Central, I would think they're in a chance to compete for a playoff spot because of the fact that they're in the East and are going to have to face those three teams a combined 39 times. That's one other thing. with less. the balanced schedule. Little, Again, yeah the, balance, yeah, the balanced schedule does, but, in a sense, work in their right. favor,
1: but it's also... But it also, now you're playing everyone. So now yeah. you're going to face all the big-time teams in the AL at least three games. Yep. plus everybody you know i mean you're gonna fight you would face everybody before in the national league but now you're gonna get everyone in the american league no matter what you're not gonna skirt past anybody so that Correct. in a way sort of you can't use that excuse because it sort of Correct. all balances out anyway you're still gonna get the yankees and the red Sox and everybody and the rays and well they always get the rays which is a bad example yeah. but you're gonna get you know the top contenders you're gonna get the astros you're gonna get all those teams. That's going to make up for all those other division yeah. games. So I mean, you yeah. can't blame the schedule. I mean, bottom yeah. bottom yeah. line, they some of the things we talked about. The bullpen yeah. has to be better. They have to hit more consistently. And there's still a lot of t- things on this team that is very iffy. If it'll if it really will be yeah. better, you know. And, yeah. and that, that's why I I don't know I me personally I I, I want to see it happen that they could win 80 or be a 500 team, but I'm, I am I still think they're fourth and I would still err toward the 75 prediction closer to that.
0: Yeah, and to finish my thoughts on this, I feel like it's going to be... Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you no, off. You're good, my, no, but, no, you're yeah. good. No it's, no, it's fine. No, again, I feel like they are probably closer to that 76 wins than they are the 80, but when you also look in the grand scheme, if they get to 76 this year, every move that they've made in terms of Players they've acquired were for longer than just this year. Gene right. Segura was a two-year deal and an option. Luis Arias is still under team control for I believe two more years after this. Um, AJ Puck is under control for five more years. Everyone in that rotation. Cueto has the option, but we'll see what happens there. I'm assuming that's really just a holding spot for Yuri Perez long term. Everybody else in the rotation is either still pre-arb under control under team under team control or in Sandy's case under contract for 4 years, 4 more years. All of their bullpen pieces with the exception of I believe Matt Barnes is under team control. So they have if they can if they have if they take the steps this year, then they still have everybody coming back plus whatever they decide to add next offseason to keep it going. This isn't a you have the you have to do it all this year. They built it for a chance to make a run this year but not and but if they don't, it's not like they're completely pigeonholed and would have yeah. to completely start over if it doesn't work out this year. Right. And with the fact that they're in the east and all three of those teams still being where they are, this gives them the chance to show, hey, we're taking the positive step if it works out. And we're also in position to keep moving forward, not right. just be the one year, one year chance. Oh, we finished fourth. Oh well. So right. they have they they set themselves up to to make this. Work as the stepping stone that they honestly should have and hoped to have done two or three years earlier in this rebuild, but didn't. They're finally getting to that point where they're trying to maintain, get that stability, and also have a farm system that's going to be able to to start rising up and have all the veterans with them for what they want to do.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, it's no, it's a good point because it's what they need to do. It's what they what needs to happen, and now it's just. Prove it. Let's see. I mean, yep. we know the odds are stacked against them, but you know, you can't, you, you take that into consideration, but you can't totally lean on that Correct. completely. Not a hundred percent too, because you have to see some improvements. So, oh yeah. But, but it, it's prove it time and here you go. New manager and really first year, first true full year in the post Jeter era really too, If yes. you think about it, you know, after all the front office changes and internal changes and whatnot. Now they're dry. They're steering the wheel. You know what I mean? So yeah. that too, that's going to be the other interesting part. And then, like we said, new rules in baseball. So here we go. This is going to be fun. Fresh start. Uh, should we do? um No, let's do You know what? Let's let's, I don't know if we should do, I, I didn't do my homework on that part. We, if we were going to do who could win the world series, uh, Overall picks so I know we did that last year Or should we wait till Wait, well, don't know the season starts By Netflix next pod so Put yeah, you on I the mean, spot for, right here Jordan What do you think yeah.
0: well I mean for me I'm just going to try to I'll go around the divisions uh, East I'm keeping the Braves as division Champs until they get proven until proven otherwise Just because again Everyone thought it was going to be the Mets the Braves still end up Getting there and I just feel like again it's Just the traditional annual when Are the Mets going to Mets and unfortunately, they're already, already having to figure, to figure things out, out with, with their cl- – Yeah, they're already figuring out their closer spot with Edwin Diaz out. Yep, uh, already I still think – yeah, but I obviously think the Mets are still going to get a wild card spot at minimum. Yeah. Central yeah. is going to come down to either the Cardinals or the Brewers. I'm going to go with the Brewers this year to take mm-hmm. the division. Again, I mean, I love the one-two punch up top of their rotation between Burns and Woodruff. Yeah. Uh, their offense is still good. It's still steady. Uh, the Cardinals, again, they have – they have a lot of talent, especially on the position player side. Goldschmidt, Arenado, Jordan Walker, who was an absolute phenom during spring. 20-year-olds oh, gonna make his debut. But again, I just when I look at their starting pitching and I look at and go Adam Wainwright and Miles Mikolas are their one and two. When I look at that again over the grand scheme of baseball, and then what's behind them, I would take the one, I would take the Brewers pitching over the Cardinals pitching. And for me, that's what decides it there. Uh, the West is going to be either the Dodgers or the Padres. And I'm gonna pull the trigger and go San Diego.
1: Oh, go all right. I was gonna do it. I yeah. was gonna do it. That's why I was like, I, you yeah. saw my face. So I was like, yeah, gonna do it. So, gonna do it. I'm gonna do so, it. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, so, so uh, Atlanta, Atlanta, Milwaukee, San Diego get the three division spots. Uh, the Mets, the Dodgers, and either the Phillies or the Cardinals get the. Get the, get the wild card spots. I don't, it's either, again, I feel like he's going to come down to one of those things right towards the last day, sort of like he did last year. Mm-hmm. The AL, uh, the West, you got to go Houston. That's just, to me, that's the no-brainer. Yeah. I agree. The Central, I feel like it's going to be either the Twins or the Guardians. I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i lean towards the Twins. Just, this is me mm-hmm. more or less just ran, just guessing there. The East is the interesting one. Again, the yank you got the Yankees, you got the Rays.
1: They're forgetting the team on my yeah. pick.
0: No, no, I know the Blue Jays are up there too. Unless mm-hmm. you unless you're trying to go the Orioles because I don't think
1: Boston. I don't yeah, think Boston. The, or- the Orioles Boston. maybe too. Yeah, well, yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I think the, yeah. the Red Sox will be in the fight, but yeah. Yeah. I don't
0: yeah, no, again, the East is tough. The AL East is tough. Uh I'll go go Yankees. (laughs) I'll go Yankees to win the division, and then I feel like it's going to – and then, honestly, again, hard to bet for just the entire run for the playoffs. It's hard to pick against the Astros when they've made it to the ALCS six consecutive years. Yep. So, I mean, it'll be the Astros against – you know what? Let's go Astros-Padres. Let's go Astros-Padres. I like it. For my World Series prediction. Yeah. Not picking a winner yet. I'm not picking a winner, but – I'll go Astros Padres for the World Series
1: I, matchup. Not, not you know, people are going to say, oh, you're just copying. But no, that, that's that's what I was going to say for the World Series. I was going to differ with you in a few different places there for, for the other stuff. But yeah, I was thinking, you know, that's why I said, you, is he going to pull the trigger? Because I really think maybe this is that year San Diego beats him. I mean, we saw them get, get further in the playoffs anyway.
0: Yeah, and they loaded up this offseason too. Oh,
1: yeah. And, and, if, and once Tatis comes back, I mean... It's going to be yeah. ridiculous out there. So I mean, I think if they if they put it all together, you know, L A will be in the playoffs as well. I mean, both of them will. There's no doubt they're both too good not to, barring a catastrophe of injuries or something. So I mean, that's to me, that's the West. I I, I differ with you. I, I still tr- I still kind of trust the Cardinals a little more. I don't know. I, I just think that that veteran experience and their pitching's a little better. For a while there, it felt like their pitching was getting too up there in age, and it still is a little bit but I think it's a little bit better now. Uh, the East, yeah, Atlanta, to me, is the winner. Phillies, will, Phillies and the Mets will be I'm with you. Probably, the, I mean, the Mets should be a wild card. Stress should. The Phillies will have an outside shot, maybe. Uh, I'll go with them because I think the Diaz thing will hurt the Mets, and the Mets are the Mets. I'm sorry, I don't trust them. Yeah. So I think the Phillies will have a good shot at, at, at sneaking in as a wild card this year. Uh, You know, I love, though, what, you know, the acquisitions they've made. I mean, we just saw what Trey Turner did the entire WBC. Let's see if that carries over. I mean, it's a long season, but I wouldn't be surprised if he has a pretty good start to that. And I'm going to make a surprisingly not homer pick. And that's why I was laughing when you were talking about the AL East. I think Toronto wins it. I love what Toronto's been doing. They've been coming up the last few years. I'm not going to be a homer. I think Toronto wins the AL East. The Yankees worry me in certain respects. They worry me in their starting pitching overall. Mm-hmm. Garrett Cole last year was not, he had his moments, but it wasn't, you know, I'd have to see Garrett Cole be Garrett Cole to trust yeah. them. They'll make That's the playoffs.
0: Fair. That's fair. They'll,
1: they'll make the playoffs. And they have enough pitching to get there. You know, the bats will be the bats. Aaron Judge, just like, you know, just kind of the, insert what I said about Sandy following up an amazing season. What does Aaron Judge do this year to top 62? You know, is he going to hit another 50-something? Is he going to threaten that again, or is he going to have a drop-off? Those are all. Is you know, how healthy is our 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 boy G going to be in that lineup? How much is he going to be able to stay in there, and all the other pieces? So that's the East. The Orioles will make the playoffs. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna call that right now. I think they can get one of the wild cards. Yeah, that that division. Obviously, I follow that you know pretty closer than the other divisions in the AL, but. I'll go with that. I do. I. I. I'm with you on the Twins in the Central, and then yeah, Houston dominates the West. And then, but there is one team in the West, and I'd be remiss not to say the Mariners
0: have a chance to be a sneaky good yes. team this
1: year. Yes. Yeah. yeah again, yeah. I, again,
0: their their rotation. I mean, you look at the rotation: Luis Castillo, Robbie Ray, Logan Gilbert, and George Kirby as their one through four. That's the other that.
1: wild card. That's the that to me. Yeah. That's the other wild card. I know they got them last year, but this they're even better yeah. this year. Yes. So if, if all holds true. That's the other wild card. And that's what's gonna make the East such a battle for yeah. for all those spots, because you can't just say, Oh, four of them are gonna make it. No, Correct. not even three of, not even three of them, really, because they're gonna yeah. they, they, they maybe it might only be two to come out of there. And and for me to say the Orioles are, are gonna be one of the wild cards that, that means, means you you're saying
0: that, if you say the Yankees are in, that Tampa's that, out. That,
1: that, that means either Tampa's out or that means that team in the Bronx is unnoticed that they better get their you-know-what together if they're going to make it back. This it, it is going to be a war in that division once again. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and we're going to get to see it all unfold starting in just a couple days. So
1: yep. Get you- your MLB ticket packages ready. It all starts Thursday.
0: Yep. So should be a fun season one way or the other. Year five for me. I'm looking forward to it. After this year, I'm halfway to Hall of Fame voting eligibility, so mm-hmm. just counting down till that, but that's going to do it for – I think I'm on a,
1: a year six or seven on that, so I'm yeah. getting close. So we'll yeah.
0: see. Yeah, so that'll wrap up this week's episode of Fish Bites. We'll be back again next week to recap what happened in the Marlins Mets series to open the season and start getting a better look at what to expect from this team. For Andre Fernandez, I'm Jordan McPherson. Thanks so much. We will see you guys again next week.